Now is the time we bring you the virtual stage of our Achieving Optimal Health Conference at Georgetown University. To experience this talk with all the videos, slides, and graphics, go to bbrconsulting.us and click on Conference. One more time, visit bbrconsulting.us. Thanks for staying curious and for living your best life with us. The way we take care of ourselves is ever evolving. And what we know for sure is that our mind and spirit are linked to our physical body and that our wellness seems to extend into our communities and the planet we all share. It is very, very clear that wellness is interconnected. We love spending time with you to explore and practice the breakthroughs, the insights, and the passions of incredible people helping us all see the world in a whole new light. This is HealthGate. Dr. Ren McAllister is a double board certified fellowship trained orthopedic surgeon specializing in care of the hand and upper extremities. He is also committed to foundational health. And in today's podcast, we'll hear about the fundamentals Dr. McAllister believes are essential to good health. So welcome to Health Gig, Dr. McAllister, but you said we could call you Ren, so that's what we're going to do because we like your name. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. We're so happy to have you. And we've been researching about you and your life and all of the things, but we want to know just for our listeners, if you could just tell us a little bit about your family and then how you got started on your journey of being the hand surgeon and then the transformation you've made in your life. I um, have a wife and three kids right now. So they're 14, 17, and 20. So we're kind of moving into a different phase, which is terrific. I met my wife actually as an undergraduate. We were doing research together and and I went to medical school in, I guess, 96 and she entered in 2000. So she went through medical school as well. When she graduated, our son needed a little bit of extra work early on. And so she ended up and was going to be an anesthesia doctor and ended up staying home. And so she's been home with our kids. She's a health coach now. As I went through sort of, you know, you go through life, you get busy, kid stuff, you know, time for yourself, all the usual stuff and reached a point probably about three or four years ago where we got home from a vacation, stepped on the scale and was kind of like, crap, what happened? You know, how did I, you know, weigh in 2.15? I just want to say something really quickly. Sorry. That's amazing that your wife did that. Yeah. That's, that's, she must be really an incredible person. Or she that's. Because she made it through med school and then she knew that your son needed to have her full time. Yeah, it was interesting. Wow. We we went through, it's like, well, we probably need two nannies, you know, because you need to go or you need to live in. And we right. made the decision we wanted to raise our own kids. And we weren't sure early on kind of, you know, everything was going on. And turns out he's fine now, but it was just early. Right. There were just a lot of things that was uncertain and stuff that I guess they call like sensory processing disorder. I remember asking, at first went through this testing and the autism stuff and things like that. It wasn't that, but it was this thing called sensory processing disorders, the closest like label they could get for lack of a better word. And I remember asking them and said, hey, what happens to these kids when they get older? And they're like, we don't know. Like, what do you mean? We don't know. And I'm like, well, maybe these are the kids that were just a little bit different when they were younger than they grew up fine. And they're like, oh, I don't know, I guess. And so early on, it was difficult. Like I remember one time we were at a park and he was at the top of a hill and he just identified this girl and took sprinting off after her. And he's probably like four or five. And I could see what was happening and uh, I was just running as fast as I could. And I caught him just before he was about to just basically like a linebacker take her out. <laughs> and uh, 
And so she spun around and, and she spun a little bit and her mom looked at Gaddy just kind of like walked away embarrassed. And it was a difficulty initiating social interaction. And another time we were at a bookstore, Barnes and Noble, they don't exist anymore. And he's at the train, the little train setup they have up there. And this kid walks up and, and he was the only one playing with it. And the, the kid's on the other side and he looks at the kid and he kind of looks down. He picks up the train and throws it across the table. It's wrapped between the eye. And I used to pitch in college. And so the first thing I thought was like, sweet, I got a picture. This is awesome. <laughs> the second thing I thought, oh my God, I don't know what to do. I'm so embarrassed. I just like froze. And I was just like, I'm sorry. Right. Now it was just a challenge. So wow. a lot of work and effort. So she stayed home to help with that, which is terrific. And yeah. as he grew up, he just sort of grew out of that stuff, which is fascinating. Now he's a terrific kid, athlete in college and stuff. And so really proud of how he's grown up, but that really changed kind of the course of things. And then so back for my wife, yeah, it did. It made a fundamental shift. And at times, yeah. and, you know, she like felt like she gave up a lot, but so as she circled back to it, you know, she still enjoys helping people. And so she had always been interested in health and wellness and, and for her own self. And we've been on sort of a, she kind of had this parallel path in the sense of our realization of a lot of what medicine does is kind of backwards. It's upside down, it's turned around. And so that's why she became a health coach. She thought about going back into medicine. And I said, look, it's kind of work, you know, residencies work. And if you don't really love it and what's your outcome, you know, what are you going to get to at the end of the day? And so that's where she became a health coach and her company, Embrace Wellness. She works at perimenopausal women, postmenopausal women, really mm. helping them and these fundamental issues. And so what I call foundational health. She kind of hates the term, but that's fine. But it's the same fundamental principles. So as I get off the scale a few years ago, it's like, okay, something, I got to fix something. And we initially did one of these commercial programs. I did everything they said. I lost 30 pounds. And that was great. Life was sweet. And then it all came back and more. And it's like, okay, well, something's not quite right here. And so as uh, COVID hits and my son was, was working out and he got to know a professional punter and the NFL gets everything right so that you couldn't get any exercise equipment and they get all these hammer weights and things like that. So he goes down for his uh, training camp and says, Jack, do you want to use my weights? And we're like, yeah, do take them. So he gets the weights. And so I started lifting with them. Eventually got a rack, set everything up in my garage. So I was, finally was like, okay, I've got the time to do this. And just kind of made the decision, okay, I'm going to start lifting. And then it's like, okay, well, you keep putting things off. Now it's time to make a change, right? So that's where I started talking to my wife. And she's always on me to, you know, eat this and eat that. And I was one of those people that could eat anything I wanted through my 20s, wouldn't gain a lick of weight. But those habits that you develop catch up with you, right? And mm -hmm. it all kind of caught up. So talking with her and working through made these changes and we're able to reverse metabolic syndrome and all these things, which is terrific. But when I look back on it, I realized it was really very simple. It was foundational principles. There's no fancy gimmick. There's no, you know, superfood. There's no Instagram program or anything like that. It's basically paying attention to how did I sleep? How did I think? What did I eat? How did I move? And that habits built around those. And it's really behaviors. And so as um, I made those changes, patients started commenting, hey, geez, you know, I haven't seen you in five years. You look younger than I do. What's going on? And things like that. So, and I started reflecting. You get a little further along. And I realized, you know, I, I sort of felt incomplete in helping people in the sense that I fixed their hand problem, but they go away. And then either the same person or a very similar type person comes back. And I started realizing they all have the same sort of profile in terms of, you know, a body habitus, health problems, you know, concerns. And it's almost like the same person showing up in front of you and the same four or five problems. And 90% of this is lifestyle related. And so then we started looking into this and realized that, geez, most of what ails us is really lifestyle related. And then it gets back to the core of these four fundamental principles. Basically, sleep is probably the most foundational because it's broad impacts. 
and then how we basically manage stress and your mindset, how we move, how active we are, and then what we put on our bodies and each of those four principles. So that was kind of the evolution of it. And then with my wife kind of on the parallel path, uh, realizing that, hey, there's a way I can help people far better than anything I do in an operating room, prevent them from coming back. It's sort of the the old Silicon Valley thing. Can you put yourself out of business, right? And and I'll never do that because it's the human nature behavior, right? Not everyone's going to want to or be able to change. But if I can at least help one person change. I heard you talking about so much of our health issues come down to our identity. Yeah. Can you talk about that? I think it's really fascinating. That's the point thing I tell my wife, we were talking about this and I was harping on, I said, you know, this mindset's like 90% of this. It's how you see yourself. I used to tell myself, oh, when I get here, I'll do this, right? It's like, I'll get to this when I have the time. And it's like, no, you have to, you know, the sort of phrase is winning the inner battle first. The time is now. There's no good time to start something. The best time was yesterday, but the second best time is now. And so you have to just basically execute behaviors consistently. I can't remember who said it, but we don't give up on our goals. We sort of drift away from them. And as I heard that comment, I kind of reflected back and I was thinking, I don't know, I was on a walk and I was like, that's 100% what it is because you start out wanting to do something and quote, life gets in the way, right? And so if you can get yourself to consistently execute behaviors over the long term, then you can achieve just about anything you want to do. And the ability to execute behaviors gets to the mindset of like, okay, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to stay consistent with it. So then you have to hold yourself accountable to that. Yeah. And saying to yourself, not what would I do, but what would a healthy person do? Yeah. That's a great strategy is, is say, okay, well, I'm, I'm not going to do this, but what would my future self do? Or what would a healthy person, what decision would they make in this circumstance? And that's a great way to function almost as your own coach in the sense that it's almost like a mirror test, but you look in the mirror and say, okay, well, if I were this, what would I do? And if you ask yourself those, And that's why I was getting back to the kind of, you ask yourself just four questions every day. How did I sleep? How did I think? How did I eat? How did I move? And if you ask those questions consistently every day, you'll start to develop awareness around it. I mean, everyone's human, right? We've got a little drawer at the surgery center with Hershey's in it and stuff. And, you know, you might go hit it, but it's like, okay, okay, well now how'd I eat today? Well, I did pretty good, but I kind of hit the Hershey bar drawer. So maybe next time, you know, why did I do that? What can I do differently next time? It's just a constant process. Ren, I think it's so neat. And when Dora and I were talking about it before the podcast, how you are including, we get the sleep for sure. We get the eating, the nutrition for sure, and the importance of movement for sure. But how you add think in there is pretty fascinating. Can you talk about that? Well, think is primarily stress management, but it also incorporates mindset, which was kind of, they're kind of interrelated, but your ability to manage stress. Stress, there's a great, I rank on his name, Richard Siles, S-E-Y-L-E-S, Stress of Life as a book from the 50s, but did these fascinating experiments. Um, apologize if you, you're not in animal experiments and things, but basically you could kill an animal with stress only. Like you could not eat an animal, it'll live for three, four weeks a month. But if you induce stress, you will literally kill them. And so he would do these experiments and literally just by inducing stress, produce physiologic change. And we're no different. We know the human animal is no different in that context. So If you are stressed out, you know, if you're tired, if you're not sleeping, you know, you don't manage your emotions well, you end up with more interpersonal interactions, which compounds stress. You make poor food decisions when you're tired. There's a whole physiologic process that goes on with your brain basically craving glucose. And you cannot overcome, your will cannot fight the desire to give your brain glucose if it needs it. Like it's just an inborn drive. 
Stress will drive many of the choices that you make that affect your movement and your food primarily. So foundationally, if you start with sleep, sleep sets you up for success on all levels. It sets you up. It also sets you up emotionally and in terms of your mindset. So then your mindset, your ability to manage stress is kind of the second step. And then that, if you get adequate sleep and you're managing stress, your mindset's strong, the eating and the movement almost just happen, so to speak. Like it's a cascading effect or you think of a pyramid, the foundational steps. If you try to manage your stress, but you don't sleep well, it's not going to be successful. You're going to be irritable. And then that's going to compound and add more stress. You're going to make poor food choices. You're not going to work out because you know what? Crap, I feel like crap today. I'm not going to work out because so-and-so did this or whatever. That's the reason mindset's included because it, it, the puzzle is incomplete without that piece. And then stress also physiologically drives many of the ailments we have. I'll see people in the office and if you start to listen to them, we have this concept in hand surgery. It's called an arm ache. It's like a headache, but it's pain in your limb that's non-physiologic. In other words, most of what I do in hand surgery is applied anatomy. Something is wrong mechanically, identify it and fix it. But there's a subset of people that come in and there's nothing wrong. Like physiologically, I can't find anything wrong. There's no tendonitis. You know, there's no nerve issue. There's no fracture. There's nothing mechanically wrong, but yet their arm hurts. And if you'd start to drill into this, it turns out it's this concept of arm ache and it gets to basically psychological factors and it comes down to basically coping skills, low coping skills, and your ability to have this concept called self-efficacy. And so self-efficacy is your belief in your ability to basically overcome. So the flip side of the people I see in clinic are the people I don't see in clinic. And so who I don't see in clinic are people with high coping skills, high self-efficacy, people that have you know foundational health. Yes, you may trip and fall. And we have a joke, you can't legislate stupidity. You're still going to cut yourself with the knife when you're cutting the bag all the avocado. But by and large, there's almost a certain type of individual I don't see in clinic. So that makes sense. So if you do the four pillars, yeah. the four things, you're going to have high self-efficacy. And Ren, it could even be just like anytime you have something in your body and it's unidentified, there's no reason. It's that is what you're talking. It could possibly be that. We talk about, I guess, psychosomatic illnesses or things like that. But my daughter, they were younger, right? Oh, my, my tummy hurts, right? Uh, right. And it's like, well, what's going on at school? Oh, well, it turns out, you know, something's going on with a friend or whatever, right? So kids happen all the time. You know, you'll see kids with trouble at home at school, always have aches and things. So it happens no different than adults. Oh, you know, it just, it hurts to do this. And it turns out there, someone's bullying them at work or they're having an issue at work. And so this idea that, you know, your ability to manage stress, one of the outlets for it when it's overwhelming and you can't cope is a physiologic manifestation. And that's real. More so maybe in primary care offices and things like that with other sort of less specific symptoms. But 100%, I see it in the hand world as well. You're a hand surgeon. Yeah. Is that right? Correct. And so tell people a little bit about what your life is like as a hand surgeon. What is it like? What do you do? What are some of the things we can do to keep our hands healthy? Sure. So I run a clinic that's busy because lots of hand problems are, um, they're episodic, number one. So they're not usually chronic lifelong things. You know, you're moving along life, something intervenes and you'll come see me and we'll fix it and you'll go on with your life and life is sweet. So that's a good thing about it. It's very rewarding because we basically help people. There's not a lot of voodoo in what I do. There's no, oh, let's try this and maybe this will happen. So that part, it's very concrete. I like that. 
But the flip side of that, though, is because hand problems tend to be slow in occurring, they're kind of people muck around with them for months before they come in. A lot of times that leaves people, they wait too long, basically. And so one of the things that I'm trying to do is push information to people sooner so that by the time they see me, a lot of times they come see me, it's like, well, you know, unfortunately, at the moment, we're left with surgery because your hand's been numb for years. You're at the point now where, yes, the only really alternative is surgery. Yes, there are things you could have done early on to help that. And it's a human instinct, probably more common in dudes with Y chromosomes than women. But women are just as guilty, right? We just put things off. And if it's not fallen off, you know, if your heart, you know, if you have chest pain, you're going to see the doctor immediately. But if your hand hurts, you're going to ignore it. You don't have to run in for every problem. But a lot of times people will put things off. So I see a delay a lot of times in care for lack of information. And the information out there is, it's either nonspecific or it's very overwhelming. So part of what I want to do is simplify that and just kind of get people to core principles and help them walk through this sort of how to evaluate hand problems. So what can you do to prevent those? We have to remember that the hand is part of the musculoskeletal system. And it is a mechanical system that responds to the same physical principles. And I tell people, it's why a soccer player can't play five games in a week, right? You don't see professional soccer games. They don't play Monday, Wednesday, Sunday. Well, they very rarely they do. But if they do, the same people aren't playing. They're swapping them out. And the reason for that is it's too much load and there's not enough time for recovery. And so the concept of rest and recovery is fundamental in musculoskeletal health and medicine and anything that we do with our bodies. You can't run an engine at redline, you know, for weeks on end, it's going to fail. The same thing happens with our bodies. So one of the things I see is as a human animal, we're not designed to sit for hours at a keyboard hunched over typing. We're not designed to do the same repetitive things over and over. So building in that rest and recovery, letting your body heal itself, which by and large it will. I mean, one of the things I've noticed over the years, it's fascinating for lack of a better word, how unconsciously people are trying to kill themselves and the body still lives. Like the things that people do to themselves whether you know it's health, it's how they sleep, it's what they put in their bodies, and they still live and they function and the body adapts to it. So if you give yourself the optimal environment to succeed, your body will flourish on its own. It already knows what to do. We just interrupt that pattern. So in terms of, you know, with your hands, you know, the things that you do mechanically with your hands and then how you take care of yourself, the health has a huge impact in that. And that's where, as I realized, that's where the same people come back over and over. You're going to get trigger fingers. You're going to get carpal tunnel highly associated with diabetes. Well, diabetes by and large is a lifestyle issue. And the people have type one, which they can't help, but there's type two, which is really the epidemic. And it's largely driven by inactivity, what we put on our mouths and, and things like that. So it's a lifestyle issue. So those are the things I think that are most critical. It's again, it gets back to foundational health and then the concept of rest and recovery in terms of how you use your hands and what you're doing. Does that apply to arthritis as well? Is that a lifestyle issue? Arthritis is multifactorial, meaning there's lots of things that contribute. There's definitely genetics. People say, well, I have my mom's hands. Yes, you may, and that's okay. I'd sort of like to tell, I've got a, a patient, he was 74 at the time, he owned a roofing company, and he came to see me because he had on the side of his wrist a swelling, which is a, a cyst that forms in response to arthritis. And I looked at his x-rays and I kind of laughed and he said, why are you laughing? I'm like, dude, I can't find your bones. Like, I can't see the normal architecture of the wrist. Like, the arthritis is so bad, I can't tell what's going on. I said, does your wrist hurt? And he's like, no, I don't really have any pain, but I've got this swelling. I thought, oh, it's fascinating. And he was a weightlifter. 
resistance training. He was very big. He was really muscular. And he sort of joked, his buddies call him the green guy because everything he ate was green. So he's probably a little bit extreme, right? But it just proves the point that he had a strong muscular base, which is important. So that gets to the movement and resistance training, which is a huge part of that. And his diet was very clean. So I've had people that have thumb arthritis, very common in women, the base of the thumb or how women have Me, I have it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I tell people, I see lots of people in their 70s and 80s and they'll have huge bumps and they have no pain. And I'll ask them, I'll see for something else. Your thumb right body was, oh, it hurt like a few years ago. It kind of went away. And your body is trying to adapt and deal with this. And there's a process that involves a lot of inflammation. And when that happens, there are definitely people who will decrease sugar processed foods. They'll make changes to their diet. And that will help with their arthritis. There's stuff you can do to strengthen the muscles about the hand that will support the thumb joint and they'll have less pain. So absolutely, arthritis can be impacted by basically your level of muscular stability and what you put in your body and how you drive inflammation with what you eat. And then it gets to sleep as well and managing stress. All those things contribute. Ren, isn't one of the things to determine your strength, you know, as you age, if you can get up without using your hands? And was one of them hanging in grip strength? So these things are correlated with longevity and it's all getting back at basically how strong and fit you are. I had a patient just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking because like one of the things like I just, I walk basically, I don't really, I'm not much of a runner, but I basically just walk. And we were talking about this and, and it can be a long, you know, I sort of shoot for maybe 15,000 steps a day and it's enjoyable. I listen to things and, and she was saying, oh my gosh, people try to get me to this and this, but I like to walk too. And that's so refreshing. And I was talking about, you know, resistance training and she's, you know, my husband, he's always wanting to get to the why and he's like 72. And I noticed that I've watched him a couple of times stumble and he hasn't fallen. I think, oh my God, he's going to fall. He catches himself. And it's like, yeah, that's because he is getting stronger his body is stronger. And so things like grip strength, your ability to hang, these are proxies for your overall strength. And at any age, you can improve your strength. Almost unequivocally, I wrote a little book to make the argument resistance training over 40, basically unlocking the key to longevity, weight loss, and wellness. And there is no drug you can take. There is no surgery that you can have. There's no medicine. There's no Instagram protocol. Anything that will do for you what resistance training will. And so the stronger you are, the downstream effects on every aspect of your health and wellness are basically unmatched. And so that gets to what you're talking about, you know, your grip strength and things like that. You improve that stuff, it will absolutely help you live longer and healthier. What is Hand Guy MD? Is that your platform? Yeah, it is. And so it's interesting. It's been an, an evolution. So I started it initially. This is what I was getting at, trying to get the information to people in a consolidated way, clearly not confusing. My wife teases me. You can kind of see behind me a little bit. I kind of, everything's in every place. It's a little bit me, but trying to make things clear. When I'm in the office with someone, the explanations are very clear and they appreciate that. But sometimes I would leave the visit and I would go in, it would take 20, 30 seconds and, you know, identify the problem. They feel like they got value, but I feel like, geez, you know, it took basically 30 seconds and they probably didn't need to be here if they only knew the right information. They could avoid coming to see me because it's a half day by the time you take time out of the office and things like that. So I want to try to push that information forward. Well, I started, but I didn't want to be the face of it. And so I kind of the blue man group, I kind of tried to create this. And then as I sort of evolved, I realized, well, that's A, maybe it's a little confusing and B, you can't really do that, right? People need a face basically. So I've sort of driven that along and I'm sort of transitioning this to basically Dr. Ren, then also incorporating the health part to it. It's sort of an evolution. So 
by the time this airs, it'll be drren.io. <laughs> oh, okay. Probably just shut down HandGuyMD just to keep things simple. And as I started talking, the other part was as the health stuff became more evident to me, it was a little confusing, the HandGuy part. So it just kind of make it Dr. Ren and be able to have a, a consolidated conversation. That makes sense. And that's awesome that you're understanding the importance of education and that people really want the information. And like you said, it, then they can co-work with you or not have to come see you, yep. which is amazing. We have so much more to talk to Dr. McAllister about. So please plan to join us next week when we continue this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me. See you next week and be well. Thank you for joining us on HealthGig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well.